Welcome to the Moonshots Master Series. It's episode eight. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons, and as always, I'm joined by the man with a plan, Mr. Mark Pearson Freeland. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, Mike. We are bringing a brand new topic for our subscribers on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as our Moonshot Lunar Powered members on the Patreon Moonshot level today, aren't we? We certainly are. We are at our eighth master series, Mark, and we have done some chunky, chunky subjects in the past, if you think about it. Thus, principles, motivation, teamwork, habits, circle of control, communication, and entrepreneurship. But Oof. we, we have got a heavyweight coming today. I think this one, if none of the previous seven knocked your socks off, this one will. I totally agree. I think there's an element of consistency uh, or a thread that connects all of our different master episodes. But I agree, this one for me was an absolutely big hitter. Today, listeners and subscribers and members, we're diving into what I would consider quite under-considered, under-maybe-appreciated, under-delved or uncovered area of our lives in Uh, personal development and transformation, which, Mike, is all about finding your purpose in life. I mean, this is a pretty big, juicy topic that I don't think gets enough airtime or consideration. Yeah, well, I would just, uh, as you were talking, and I'm just like, well, when do you actually sit down and make time to talk about this stuff without sounding like a complete idiot? Let's, uh, (laughs) let's, shall we just sit down and talk about my purpose in life? Like, Like, you just don't do it, do you? No, you really, really don't. And I think there's a propensity within business and uh, entrepreneurs. You know, we certainly uncovered a handful of uh, tips and guidance and we'll understand a few more entrepreneurs and authors today in today's episode around business and finding a, a value or a mission objective for businesses in the industry. But actually, turning the mirror on ourselves for a moment, thinking about our own personal drive and vision and direction, I really don't think is something that we're almost brought up or educated or trained into thinking about. I I have a feeling that it may be, and certainly for myself, I am perhaps speaking, I think maybe you feel like, bringing it up is almost a confession of inadequacy. Oh, uh, can we talk about my purpose? Cause I kind of don't know really what I'm doing in life. And oh, actually now I say that I feel really stupid and actually let's move on. <laughs> like, yeah, you, do you think yeah. that could be it? That, that we appear weak and vulnerable and lost if we want to talk about it? Do you think that's why it's just not on the table? I I certainly could see that being a a reason, you know, whether you want to call that ego or or just confidence or insecurity or or, uh, discipline, it's something that I think is innately within all of us because we're told to put on, you know, quite a brave face and just put your back towards the grindstone and get on with it. Totally. And I I could totally see that being something that does uh, put off a number of people, including, I think, myself within my career. There's probably been plenty of times where I've just thought, it doesn't really matter. I'll just go and do it without really reflecting on whether it makes me happy and whether it's something that I love doing. 
Yeah, and, totally, totally. Yeah. Well, I think the good news is for this episode of the Moonshots Master Series, it's all about finding purpose. We're going to have so many goodies. We've got Elizabeth Gilbert to inspire us, Matthew McConaughey, who is quite the expert, I think, on all things purpose, and one of our absolute favorites, Simon Sinek. Uh, All of that is in front of us here where we are really going to get into a discussion of finding purpose. But before we do, Mark, this show is exclusively for our members. And I think before we launch into the world of purpose, let's do a quick roll call to all our members who support us and for whom we are very grateful. For our members who have been here from day one all the way through to today's episode number eight, You guys are helping us find our purpose and keeping the moonshot lights on. So please receive our lunar-powered thanks, Bob, Niels, John, Terry, Bridie, Niall and Marjolin, Ken, Dietmar, Tom and Byron, Mark, Marjan, Connor, Rodrigo, Yasmin, Spaceman, Daniela, Lisa, Sid, Maria, Paul, Berg and Cowman. Welcome, everybody, to the show. Thank you so much for joining us, Mike and I and the Moonshots team as members. Thank you for listening and keeping with us uh, month to month. We really, really do appreciate your support, energy, as well as your, your presence. We are certainly indeed grateful. So thank you. And with that I want to jump into the world of Kyle Maynard. And for those who don't know Kyle Maynard, he is an amazing guy. Maybe Mark, why don't you give a quick synopsis on Kyle Maynard and we shall launch into a world of finding your purpose. Kyle Maynard was an individual, Mike, that we've we've covered on the weekly Moonshot show. And he has been uh, what we would regard as one of our listener favorites because he is just an incredible speaker, author, He's actually a mixed, an MMA athlete, but he's specifically known in all of these different areas because he was the first quadruple amputee to ascend Mount Kilimanjaro without prosthetics. So, yeah, so just to be super clear, this guy, Kyle Maynard, no feet, no arms, did Kilimanjaro, and you will spend time with the episode uh, that we did on Kyle and you'll think, what the hell am I doing? I'm a lazy bum in comparison <laughs> to Kyle Maynard. So, uh, look, Mark, I just want to get straight into Kyle Maynard. He has so much to teach us and it starts with his thoughts on following your own path. And that really, if I had to go and like pick one thing that I would want to go and do and impart on the world is to combat that like excuse of impotence. It's really that, all of us, like, in, in our own way, whether it's in an individual conversation, like, we know for a fact, like, we have the capacity to be able to go and do something, but it's only when we go and make that excuse that we're, we're incapable or we don't care, which is usually a lie, then, then we don't. And there's a concept that changed my life. Like, like, I mean, it's a big statement to make, too, but it really did in a lot of ways when I learned this. And it was Alfred Korzybski said in 1931, he said, the map is not the territory. Meaning that, like, the object, you know, language, you know, with our words, spoken words, it's an abstraction. It's not reality itself, whatever that means, right? So the territory being reality, like, that's whatever it is. But the deal is, is all of us go and walk around. It's a human, natural phenomenon. We all go and walk around relating to our own mental maps as if they are reality. 
instead of realizing they're just a map, and some maps are more useful than others, right? If we make a map of Chicago, you know, and we've got 15 minutes to go and make it, then it's probably not going to be a very accurate map. If we use a map from 1960 of Chicago, it's probably not going to be a very accurate map. You know, the more accurate we can go and get to the real time there, then the better off that we are. But for me and how that relates is, you know, it, it actually changed me in the sense that, like, I feel like when I learned that, I didn't really have to go and prove anything to anybody. And it gave me a lot more freedom and ease to go and understand, you know, when relating to other people that that was just like somebody else's map. I mean, Mike, straight off the bat, opening our episode number eight on finding your purpose with Mr. Carl Maynard, he he captures my attention uh, in that specific clip because he's helping us understand to uh, take time, make an excuse in your day or in your life to sit down and actually scrutinize or consider what I think he's refer- referring to as your map of mm. your reality in order to understand yourself a little bit better. Yeah. And one of the things um, that comes instantly to mind on how I might do that is one of my favorites, which is uh, doing one of those uh, self-assessment tests to find out, well, who you are. And when I think about making my map, um, I did Strengths Finder 2.0, and there's a free version called 16 Personalities. And um, these two services give you the capacity to better understand yourself and to make the map of who you truly are. And I had a, a really big aha um, when I did both of these to reveal sort of my personality back to me. It was like holding up a mirror of who I am. Mm. And that often gives you lots of inspiration um, to pursue more things that suit those characteristics. And then, you know, as we'll discover in this show, that's how you start discovering, understanding and knowing what your purpose is and and actually living it. I, I love this idea of self-evaluation and rewriting of your own map and challenging yourself, getting a little uncomfortable with yourself and doing things like it could sound about a bit nerdy, like doing a self-assessment test online, like 16personalities.com. But give it the time, give it the 15 or 20 minutes. I found that really rewarding. Mm. What what do you do when you're searching to like re-examine and question your own map, Mark? What, what do you try and do? Yeah, I, I think 16 personalities is definitely something that I have really enjoyed doing because it gives you the tools in the format of questions, of multiple choice questions, to scrutinize your reaction to things. And for me, you're right, that's a really helpful um, website and and software to go and check out. I think for me, I also quite enjoy the uh, challenge of communicating it to somebody else. So if I'm using 16 personalities as a way to map a, a direction or a matrix of things that inspire me, that uh, capture my um, attention, capture my energy within day-to-day work as well as family life. I think trying to communicate to another individual, whether it's a colleague or somebody in my personal relationships, it's something that, again, can be quite 
uncomfortable. And I'd probably start mm. with something like those 16 personalities first, because then you feel a little bit more comfortable with uh, understanding or tapping into your own reaction mm. to things. But then having a conversation with somebody else almost vocalizes it. And for me, particularly in my career, vocalizing a problem or a consideration to another individual has always helped me put all the pieces together into a clear jigsaw that I then understand. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I can see what you're doing. You're like, you're building, building that picture. Um, and talking about something is a great way because mm. it's funny sometimes when you say things, do you ever have those moments when you say something and you, you only then truly realize the thought as you've said it? Well, I, I once had, it, it, I once had this moment when I was in my job in London where I said to a close colleague, uh, okay, I can see you've got a problem. My way of cracking the problem is just to talk about it to somebody. Why don't you tell me your problem? I'm not on your project. I don't know the client. I don't know really what it, anything that you're going to tell me, but just vocalize it to me and see if that helps. So the chap, he sat down, he took maybe five or 10 minutes telling me about the project and the problem he had. And then suddenly he stopped mid-sentence and he said, hey, Mark, I've just cracked it. You didn't need to say anything, but by me vocalizing it to you, the pennies dropped. I know exactly what I need to go and do. So he stood up <laughs> and went away. Chopped down, no, you're like, yeah. no problem. <laughs> I'll take that one. <laughs> and, and obviously that's very specific to problem solving. But I think going back to the Kyle Maynard uh, topic, and obviously today's topic on finding a purpose, I think the action of scrutinizing your motivations, your behavior, or your attitude towards something, and either doing it personally with a, per with a personality test or, a, or a, mm -hmm. uh, an exercise like that, or vocalizing it to somebody else, will start to uncover different strands, different directions within your own mind, which then ladder up to that territory or that map of reality that Carl was, was discussing in, in his talk. Totally agree. So I think you can cover topics around like self-identity, like who you really are. Like uh, a good one there would be like to uh, understand your strengths. Mm. Then you can get into your areas of interest where, where things are feeling natural. Um, you could get into like what you actually dream about, something we spoke about, or you can even ask questions about what makes you happy. And we have another great moonshot classic guru, Mr. Dan Millman, uh, the author of The Peaceful Warrior. And he's got a really good question to not only inspire us, but to challenge us. And it really helps us in the search of our purpose. So let's have a listen to Dan Millman asking the question, what makes you happy? When I was young, I was pursuing the Western solution to happiness, which is Tony Robbins, which is uh, go for the gusto and succeed, achieve, get possessions and stuff and status, all the things that quote unquote of the ego, the outward expansive Western view of what it means to be happy and successful or the Western solution. And there are people who have done that. In fact, actor Jim Carrey, was recently quoted as saying, I think everyone should become rich and famous and get everything they want so they can find out that's not the answer. 
You know the best thing about going to college? You find out it doesn't make you happy. It doesn't come with a diploma. Maybe a little while. There are people who didn't go to college and for years they say, if only I'd gone to college, I'd be happy. If only I had a better job, I'd be happy. If only I had more money, I'd be happy. If only I traveled more, I'd be happy. If only I found the perfect relationship, I'd be happy. If only I had children, I'd be happy. If only I hadn't had children, I'd be happy. (laughs) If only I was retired, I'd be happy. If only, if only, and it goes on and on. And we find out eventually that either we're happy now or we're not, because all we have is now. Future happiness doesn't mean anything. All we have is now. And happiness, I would suggest, is not something that we have to feel. I mean, if we felt happy every moment, how would we know it? The measure of our sorrows is also the measure of our joys. So life, emotions pass like the weather. They change all the time. And it's hard for me to imagine the end point of human evolution is to walk around with a gleeful smile on our face all the time. There must be something more than that. I think what we're really seeking is a sense of meaning, that our lives are worth something, they count for something, and purpose and direction, and connection with ourselves, connection with others, and connection with the transcendent. Mike, I mean, Dan Millman from show number 141, on on the moonshot show, I remember, and he's really speaking to it in that clip we've just heard. If you have ever been in this situation, if you've ever sat there in your car on the way to work and thought, if only I had something, if only I'd done this, it's something that I, I would, I would hazard a guess that pretty much every single person has done that at least once. Oh, yes. And, and I think the reference to Jim Carrey saying that everybody should get what they want because then they realize it's not really what they need or it's not the answer. I think Dan Millman's really calling out within this realm of finding your purpose that it isn't about material goods. It isn't about having uh, lots and lots of uh, answers even necessarily. It's just almost enjoying the journey that it takes, whether you go to college or not, just enjoy the moment, take time to, I think, appreciate it, to find that purpose. Mm -hmm. Because once you have that, it's that sense of meaning that Dan Millman's referencing. What what, what do you get from from Dan in that clip? I I love the fact that he pushes through this um, desire for happiness and, you know, the winning the lottery. So many of those things, it's the lottery of life, right? People are Mm -hmm. looking for the money, the big house and the car. And I love that Jim Carrey quote. How good is that, right? It's so good. We should do a show on, <laughs> we should do a Jim Carrey at some point. Oh, we should. We totally should. I think where he's uh, taking us, and I'm really grateful for that, I think Dan is taking us rather than saying, I want to be happy, I want to find meaning. So then the question for me becomes like, well, what do you do to find that? And I want to come back to some of the questions that we can ask of ourselves. And this is by no means an exhaustive list, but here's just some ideas of some questions we could ask to find meaning. So I want you to imagine, Mark, you and I were lost in the world and we have to ask some questions to find our purpose. These are some of the questions we could use. 
what kind of people would we like to help in the world? What issues do we actually really care about? Where could we provide the most value to others? That's really interesting. Like what's Mm -hmm. the one thing you do that really helps other people? Who do you identify with? either as individuals or groups. Very good if you think about role modeling. There's nothing wrong by saying, hey, Martin Luther King, Michelle Obama, Brene Brown, Elon Musk, they have done amazing things. I want to kind of be like them. Like that's a great starting point. This one I find really good. Um, What would my legacy be? Huge. Like how will they speak of you at your funeral? Like if that's not a question that punches you in the face (laughs) and says, quick, start getting serious about asking yourself who you want to be, what's your purpose? I don't know what will. What do you think? Yeah, it reminds me of the the idea that you are what you consume. So if you constantly live on, let's say, social media, your attitude will be influenced by it. I love the idea of thinking about role models, thinking about um, who you inspires you right now, as well as the idea of more of a future-facing, long-term result of a legacy, because then you start to question, am I focusing on the wrong people? Am I being inspired by the wrong individuals? Mm-hmm. How do I see my current behavior aligning with that long-term goal, vision, a legacy in the, in the future? Who might be closer towards that legacy that I can then emulate or maybe even just be inspired by. I like this challenge that once again, you're looking and scrutinizing your life. Yeah. Okay. Well, where, where do I sit on this? Mm -hmm. And these questions, like even as I was reading them out, Mark, I'm like, Oh geez, there's some, some pretty heavy duty stuff here. It doesn't have to be too heavy duty. Or even if you think about what Elizabeth Gilbert has to say, it doesn't have to be some revolutionary, totally unique thing. It just has to be true to you, right? Yeah, that's right. And this next clip that we've got is, in fact, from Elizabeth Gilbert. Elizabeth Gilbert, author of Big Magic, Mike, which we've done on uh, the Moonshot Show, and it was really amazing because it gave permission. And this next clip that we've got from Elizabeth Gilbert in Big Magic is breaking down this concept between purpose and ideas, originality versus authenticity. So let's hear from Elizabeth Gilbert talking about originality and authenticity. One of the things I love that you shared, which I feel is a big subset of fear, is this idea, it's all been done before. I think it's the thing that I hear the most, both in my own brain and when I talk to everyone out in the world about their ideas or their businesses or their projects. There's this recurring narrative, everything's been done before. And I was wondering if you can speak to originality versus authenticity. Okay, cool. I'm glad you brought this up. Um, So whenever I talk to somebody who has an idea that they're tremulously excited about, generally speaking, within the next two minutes, they will say, but you know, it's not very original. It's already been done. And I always say, but it has not yet been done by you. (laughs) It has not yet been done by you. And the answer is, yeah, guaranteed it's already been done because (laughs) humans are really inventive and inquisitive and creative. And we've had 40,000 years of the arts and pretty much everything has been done, (laughs) you know? Um, and that's fine. Like even Shakespeare, half of his stories, he totally stole from older stories because there aren't that many new stories to tell, but he told them in a way that had never been told before. And then 500 years later, 
We're still borrowing them from him. We're all just borrowing from each other. And even the most original piece of creativity that you ever saw in your life, where you're like, that's groundbreaking. I've never seen anything like that before. Guaranteed, I could bring in like 10 professors and academics who could look at it and say, well, obviously this is somebody who had read this book or they had heard this symphony or they had, or they were playing off of this or they were rejecting that. They're responding. All we do as humans is respond to stuff that's already come before us, but you're allowed to add to the pile. <laughs> you're allowed to add to the pile. And what I always say is whenever I look at art, that's really original, I feel like I can admire it, but it doesn't move me. What moves me is the humanity in an authentic piece of creation where somebody was doing something, whatever it was, because they had to, because they wanted to, because it brought them to life, because it ignited their soul. That's what gives the shimmer of gold to something and makes me feel like my heart's been changed. My mind's been changed. The world looks different than it did before. So I don't care if it's been done. I don't care if it's been done 10,000 times. If you need to do it, do it. If you need to do it, do it. I, I totally agree. And what Elizabeth Gilbert is doing there, she's giving us permission to do something that is true to ourselves. And it doesn't matter if it's been done a million times before, it's how we do it. And it will be the first time it's been done by you. I think this is really, really good at forcing us to focus on what is our superpower? What is our natural path in life? Not yours, not theirs, our path in life. Mm. Focus on being the best version of yourself. Don't try and be the crowd pleaser for everybody else. I think that's important, isn't it? Like as we, you know, take the advice from Kyle Maynard, follow your own path, Dan Millman, really discover uh, meaning over happiness. And it doesn't matter what works for you as long as it works for you. And I think Elizabeth Gilbert is saying focus completely upon the value that you can create in the world, the thing you're meant to do, your superpower, find that and don't worry if it's been done one or a million times. Sort of gets a bit off your, a bit of a weight off your shoulders, doesn't it, Mark? I, th I think as we consider the challenge, the um, perhaps a daunting idea of finding a purpose, Elizabeth Gilbert's message is essential because I believe that more people than just myself, and I, I'm certainly counting myself in this, in this category, have been put off with a, either, either a career perspective or a personal perspective at embracing maybe a new direction or going out and doing something that's brand new. Maybe it's writing a book, for example, much like Elizabeth Gilbert was referencing in, in the show, because it's been done before. I think the idea of starting a new journey is pretty daunting. And everybody has this propensity or desire to do something brand new, because I think it's sort of been bred into us. The idea that, oh, it's sequels, or it's a brand new project. They're probably leaning towards more if it's brand new, it's creative, it's original. It's therefore an expression of me greater because it's a, a, an original thought into the world. But I think the truth is there's probably been many, many hundreds of thousands of people who've been put off because they think my message isn't original enough. Isn't we've probably scary? been Yeah, we've probably scary? been deprived. Like, yeah. yeah, all these people that... Um, 
you know, could have, uh, you know, found their thing but just didn't because like, oh, you know, that's been done before. And and I think this, as we consider finding a purpose, sitting down, uh, determining what it is, what your visions and values and your goals of your life are, when you're sitting down in whatever format it's going to be, whether it's a personality test, talking about it with somebody else, writing it down, or just reflecting quietly, the idea of is is my life original enough? Am I doing mm. something that's unique? I think is going to come up naturally. And the truth is, as Elizabeth Gilbert calls out, it doesn't really matter because it's brand new to you, right? It's going to be something that's brand new to me. And therefore I've got the permission, as you say, to go out and not feel guilty or judged or uh, under pressure from other people, because the truth is they don't know. (laughs) It's only something in my own consciousness that's putting me off. Yeah. And the really the permission that I was talking about is Elizabeth Gilbert is talking about if it works for you, if it's true to you, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter if it's been done before or not, or what she said, what he said does not matter. It's just about finding something that is true to you. What a big bucket of inspiration from Kyle, Dan and Elizabeth really opening up this discussion, Mark, just really pushing us, nudging us to really delve into this somewhat uh, under-discussed, but it is overly important in terms of how we're going to experience our everyday and if we're going to feel good about it. Um, I really like, I feel like it's really opened up in front of us now. So, Mark, before we get into the second part of finding your purpose, where we're going to get into some real knowledge and expertise and some real tools to get it done. I just want to say uh, thank you to all our members who are listening to us right now and to remind them that this is a master series. So go to moonshots.io, go there, get the uh, show notes, make sure you're looking at this because there's got to be a ton of links. We're going to have links to the shows we've done on Kyle, Dan, and Elizabeth. So make sure you go to moonshots.io, get those links. But we're also going to, any of the tools we've mentioned, we've already mentioned 16personalities.com. We'll have a link to that so you can check that out. The entire guide to finding your purpose is literally at moonshots.io. .io, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, we're going to have reading lists with, uh, I can't remember the, the number in today's episode. I think we've got maybe 10, 11, 12 books and articles that can help you members go out and find your purpose, as well as a number of links to some frameworks that we'll talk about later in the show. It really is the library or the catalog of useful tools, hints, tips, and tricks to help you go out consider your pur- your purpose and go out and find it today. It's all going to be over at moonshots.io. Fantastic. So I think that launches us now into the second part of the master series, episode eight of the master series, finding your purpose. And we go to somebody who is very popular with uh, you, our listeners, our co-moonshotters. It's Mr. Mark Manson. He is the very famous author of The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F-Bomb. And um, he's got some strong thinking, actually, when it comes to figuring out what you want in life, 
when you come to considering your purpose. So let's have a listen to the man himself, Mr. Mark Manson. One of the things you talk about when we're talking about, you know, deciding what you want to do with your life, whether it's a business or you want to be a pickup artist or whatever it is, mm. is this the importance of asking the question why? And in the society and culture we live in, especially one that's so driven by comparison, where your values are almost being handed to you by Instagram and the Kardashians, like this yeah. is how, this is what you should value. Like I almost, I've almost felt, I remember one day a kid came up to me after I did this like big talk on stage and he said, I want to be a public speaker. And he was like 17 <laughs> and you're yeah. thinking, but you've got nothing. Like, you, yeah. <laughs> what are you going to talk about? <laughs> and, it's, and really what he's saying is like, he doesn't want to be a public speaker. He wants the admiration yes. he thinks public speakers get probably because he's insecure. Yeah. And, and so many kids, including myself as a young kid, we don't actually know what we want. We have mm-hmm. no fucking clue. Mm-hmm. But what we probably want is not to be insecure and get laid. Like at the heart of it. And the pursuit of that, as right. you've described, takes us down a dark alley to the wrong place, usually a dead end as well. So how do I figure out what what I actually want yeah. in my life without it being Kardashian noise or Instagram? Like what does, what, what do I want and how do I find out? I think... So it's a tricky thing, right? Because again, I think you you kind of have to get it right. It's like the relationships. You need to get a couple wrong before you know how to get it right. And I think it's the same in pursuing a career or or, or finding a purpose in life. Like you, you need to get it wrong a couple times because we're experts at tricking ourselves. You know, it's like that kid, he wants admiration, right? But if you ask them in his head, he's like, no, 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 I'm just really passionate about communicating with people. I love people. You know, it's like, we all do that to ourselves. We all like, we find the, the admirable narrative to kind of explain what we're, what we want in the world. So I think you need to go through, you need to hit a couple dead ends. You know, it's like, like that kid, he probably should go get on stage and, give the speeches and get the applause and then realize that the applause doesn't solve anything that he's still, he's still just as insecure as he was before. Because then once, once he does that, then he'll be ready to ask that question of like, why do I want to do that? Like, why am I really doing this? It, it's almost a question you have to earn in a lot of ways. Interesting. You know, and I feel like a lot of people, they just want to start there. And it's like, no, 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 you have to like, cause look, we're all like the Kardashian thing, right? Like, like the reason that stuff is so popular is because we're wired to value it. We're wired to want status. We're wired to want to be beautiful and sexy and we're wired to want to impress others. Like that's never going to go away. The question is, is like, what do you want once that is kind of removed from the equation? But I think mentally to be able to remove it from the equation, you have to try to get some of it first and, and, and see that it doesn't work. Mike, I mean, the question of why, I love this topic that comes up between Mark Manson and the diary of a CEO uh, as they discuss his book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a... <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think it's an apologies, members. I think there were a couple of swear words that got past us there. I think what's really, really interesting, again, as we consider the topic of today's show, which is about finding a purpose, is the uh, the area of discussion that, that they're breaking down, which is how influenced we all are by external factors. Oh, so true. So true, isn't it? And I mean, I love- like, think about it, whether it's the Kardashians or just your neighbours or your colleagues, um, they were really getting into this thing of you've got to put all of that aside. What works 
for you? What works for you? If you see your neighbor driving a posh car and that makes you jealous, then it kind of shows that you're into material goods and that's not necessarily the right way to go, is it? Because but, but it's, didn't- it's more than that. Good for them. Who says the Porsche is good for you though? Exactly. Maybe, maybe you want a little Fiat 500. If that's what makes you happy, good. That's the permission they're giving us. Stop worrying about what everybody else is doing and worry about what you're doing. Is it the right thing for you? Are you pursuing your purpose? And I think the real thing here is if you have one thing that you can control is you don't need to read about the good or bad things as of others to the kind of level of infatuation that many people find themselves doing on social media, turn it off. Stop worrying about the Kardashians and think about that time going into you and the things that matter to you and to the people that matter to you. That's how you get to what you want, not by, you know, seeing the latest uh, paparazzi photos, not by seeing the latest um, uh, wedding or marriage breakup uh, with some sort of celebrities. That doesn't matter at all. It just doesn't matter. It's got nothing to do with you. And if your neighbor's driving a Porsche, good for them. For me, Mike, one of the, because I can see the effects of social media kind of wasting my time. I'm sure we've all experienced it where we suddenly catch ourselves and we look at the clock and think, why have I been on Instagram for so long? Or, (laughs) you know, I had to, I had to unfortunately delete TikTok a couple of years ago during COVID because I I was on it and I just spend too much time because it's obviously designed to to bring you in. So a, a trick that I do, Mike, to make sure that I don't spend too much time on these platforms is either to remove it entirely, such as I've done with TikTok, or if it's something that occasionally I'll use to keep track with family and friends like Instagram, I'll put a timer on it. So I can only oh. use it for a, a certain amount of minutes per day and then it locks me out. That's great. Uh, can I give you another tip? Just yeah. move them off the homepage of your phone. Isn't that amazing? I, I, I move it. Yeah. <laughs> I just put them all in a folder on the second page and my usage dropped dramatically because what I realized is I had the habit of you flick your screen open and there it is. And it's saying, click me, click <laughs> me. <laughs> well, and, and, and so just, just manage your attention, right? Yeah. And there's another, uh, tip that people that I've run into maybe two or three times now with, with family that I know, turning your phone into grayscale. So you change, you remove the colors in your settings Oh, and the design of, of all these apps that are obviously designed to bring in your attention is then removed. So you're less likely to go out and use them because it's no longer visually stimulating. And what it does therefore is it gives you your time back because you're not cool. dragged into it. That's very cool. Well, there you go. So, so now that we put our attention to ourselves, there's an important job to be done, and that is understanding the difference between who you are and your ego. And we did a lot of work on ego in the Moonshots podcast. Uh, famously, we did Ryan Holiday's Ego is the Enemy um, and, 
Eckhart Tolle, uh, The Power of Now. And in both of those books, the authors explore just how divisive our own ego is, the fears, the fight or flight, uh, the, the greed, uh, the uh, over-self-importance that comes with ego. And we have two heavyweight thinkers, Mr. Adam Grant and Shane Parrish, both who we've covered in length uh, on the Moonshots podcast. So head over to moonshots.io if you're interested in more episodes and more of their thinking. But they actually go together in this conversation into an attempt to really separate identity and ego. And um, they actually have an answer which is specifically driven around purpose. So let's find out what that is by listening to Adam Grant and Shane Parrish. I think one of the things we need to do is we need to give ourselves permission to enter rethinking cycles. And there are a lot of ways to do that we could we could talk about. But Shane, I, I'm going to ask you about this because oh a couple a couple years ago, you wrote a post about how we should have more second thoughts. And I had literally started writing about that. I think it, it must have come out around the time that I was writing the Think Again book proposal. And I, I had proposed a tentative title for this book as Second Thoughts. It's like, this is amazing. You're on the exact same wavelength as me. And this is what you do for a living, right? You, you rethink things. You also ask the Farnham Street community and your whole audience here at the Knowledge Project to rethink a lot of their convictions. So where do you start your rethinking cycles? And how do you know when it's time to enter one? I think like I, I've just summed this up as like outcome over ego. And so I usually try to wrap my outcome uh, or wrap my, my sense of identity or, or ego in the outcome. And that's something I learned when I was working for the intelligence agency, right? Like it wasn't about me having the best idea. It was like, who's got the best idea because that's going to get the best outcome. And then you sort of grow up in an environment where that becomes, I would say the norm by and large, it's hard in a knowledge environment though, right? Because you have so much of your, your worth, you, you want to contribute to something. I think there's a biological need to contribute to something larger than us. And if your identity, you're not mechanically making something, you can't see there's nothing tangible to what you're producing. Then you, you, you effectively are a knowledge worker in one way or another, and then you're paid for your judgment. So if your judgment isn't right, what is it? And then what you do is you, you, you force your way, right? Like you, you don't intentionally sabotage other people, but you only look for confirming evidence. You, you're not open to changing your mind because your sense of identity is tied to being right, because that's how you contribute to the organization. It's it's interesting, but not at all surprising to me that that you really learned this in the intelligence community, because the way you're describing your process of rethinking is exactly what what I learned from studying super forecasters. Right. Which is they, they will often come in to making a judgment and say, OK, the only way to have a better shot at getting right or excuse me, the only way to, to have a better shot at, at being right is to recognize all the places where I'm wrong. Yeah. And I, I love this practice in particular that, that came from one of the super forecasters in the book, Jean-Pierre Bagam, who, when he forms a tentative opinion, will actually make a list of the conditions under which he would change his mind. And yeah. I've actually started doing this over the, the past few months because I don't want to get locked into something that was, you know, maybe sort of a, a, a soothing belief, but yeah. ultimately one that's not going to serve me well. We used to do that too. We used to sort of like track here are the, the the key variables that are going to drive this, and here's the the range at which we expect those variables. And the moment they go outside of that range, it triggers a a, a rethinking, if you will, of oh maybe we're wrong, maybe we got this wrong, and now we can course correct. And the earlier we can course correct, 
A, the less costly it is, and B, the more likely we're going to be correct in the ultimate outcome. And that's what we were focused on is like not, not the, um, when you're dealing with what we were dealing with, you want the ultimate outcome to be successful. I think, Mike, we all want the outcome of our work, our families, as well as our lives to be successful. And I think hearing Adam Grant and Shane Parrish really breaking down this concept of rethinking cycles and second think, uh, second thoughts, I think, again, inspires me as I think about finding purpose. It gives me the permission, again, to make time to go out and consider maybe rethink what it is that I'm doing or that I've done in the past to scrutinize and determine whether it's it, whether it is in fact my calling, my purpose. What do you, what do you take away from this idea of outcome over ecom, uh, ego identity? Yeah, it's, it's really when you want to pivot, isn't it? Um, there are mm. these moments where you might think, mm, I think I might need to change something about who I am or how I'm living. And I think the ego in us is what stops us from making those changes. I don't want to look silly. I don't want to do something wrong. I I, I think another big one is I don't want to give up what I've got. Like the cost of the switch is too high. Like, oh, so I want to be a, uh, a uh, African flute player but I have to give up my job on Wall Street. Ooh. <laughs> there goes the, uh, the, the Chelsea apartment, the Soho apartment. There goes the cars. Okay, that's your ego speaking. But if playing that flute really is the thing, that's the outcome. You should follow that path over your ego, which was staying mm. with all the possessions that you have. And I think we're scared of making the wrong decision. We're scared of the sacrifice. But I think what Adam and Shane were doing there is focus on the outcome and avoid your ego swinging you the wrong way. I mean, we were saying earlier, imagine how many people have dreamed of doing things, of living a particular life. But because it either wasn't original or maybe they'd look a bit silly, they didn't pursue it. There's a real connection, I think, between feeling silly, getting allowing the ego to get in the way, and that idea from Elizabeth Gilbert on originality. Because again, it speaks to this concept that I think is ingrained into us about being the best at something, being the most original. And I think it is, it's it's that that enemy of the ego, as Ron Holiday would say it, mm. instead of allowing ourselves to be our own worst enemy, <laughs> take, take the time to do that second thought, think and rethinking cycle, as we were hearing from Shane and Adam, maybe question decisions or maybe really question and recognize if you're on the wrong path, according to what, what kind of keeps you excited and keeps you uh, motivated, and that'll then help narrow and and refine the direction that you're headed in, without allowing that ego to really get in the way and cause you to choose something that ultimately doesn't align to your personal values. Exactly, exactly. And it's so interesting because as you were as you were talking there, what I was reflecting on is like how much of this 
is just happening in our heads. Like these are like these epic uh, subconscious little little uh, tinges you get where you're like, mm, something doesn't feel right. Or maybe you become very black and white and saying, I'm not sure I'm doing the right thing with X, Y, or Z. Mm. But it's it's rarely in conversation. It's mostly in your brain, and I think that we we desperately in understanding and and finding our purpose, we need to kind of. It's good to entertain these thoughts. Don't get me wrong, but we do kind of need to get out of our heads a little bit. Yeah, I I totally agree. And this next clip from the next individual, Mike, we're going to hear talking about finding purpose. I think is a perfect demonstration of somebody finally vocalizing a concern or an opinion that they had in their head and actually going out and acting upon it. So this next clip we've got was from a very, very popular show we did on Moonshots podcast with Matthew McConaughey. And this next clip, he's talking about his journals that he kept throughout the whole of his life. It's a great book called Green Lights. And the specific clip that we're going to hear from Matthew McConaughey is when he started saying no to mm. rom-coms. So and really he was saying, he was saying no to some big dollars at the time, right? That's right. So let's hear from Matthew McConaughey helping demonstrate to us and our members that it is okay to sometimes say no. And also the fact that red lights actually help you grow. Rom-com offers came in to my agent for about the next six months, but nothing but rom-com offers. And I didn't even, unless it was a major offer, uh, yeah, well, I, I just said no. And I, they just stopped at my agent's desk, Jim Toth, no. And then one of them came through that was like a gargantuan offer for it. And my agent said, it's a pretty damn good script too. And so I said, well, send it out. Let me read it. Let <laughs> me read it. And I remember this, the offer was like for $8 million and the script was pretty good, but it was still a sort of a rom-com. And I remember reading it and going, no, thank you. And I remember feeling sort of emboldened and strengthened by saying, no, thank you. Great. Sticking to my guns. No rom-coms. Six months into this drought. Nope. I'm not caving in now. Don't half-ass it, McConaughey. So they come back with a $10 million offer. No, thank you. They come back with a $12.5 million offer. <laughs> now I go dot, 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 ellipsis, ellipsis. Nah, no, thank you. <laughs> now they come back with a $15 million offer. Wow. Said, uh, you know what? <laughs> Let me have another reread of that script. <laughs> <laughs> and I reread that. Script. And you know what? At $15 million the same script that I've been offered for $8 million, the $15 million offer script, which was the same exact words as the $8 million offer script. The $15 million script was better. It was funnier. <laughs> <laughs> it had possibilities. It had angles. I had ideas. I could make this work. You know, I mean, this could work. But I said, uh, no, no, thank you. Well, that got the signal across Hollywood that, McConaughey was taking a serious sabbatical. And mm -hmm. so don't even send him a rom-com. So for the next 12, 14 months, nothing came in. Nada, zilch, not an offer for anything. I mean, I'd talk to my agent every couple of weeks. It'd just be like, nothing came in, nothing. So now we're 20 months into this desert doing work. I didn't know what I was going to be. I didn't know if I was going to change my career. If I was going to become a teacher or coach or 
go back to being a lawyer. I didn't know. I didn't think so, but I was writing more. I was talking about forced winners. I had put a forced winner on myself and I was um, pretty content. I wasn't, you know, waking up every morning going, did an offer come in? Did something new come in? I, I was past that. And then all of a sudden, 20 months in 20, 21 months into this desert, I could start getting some offers that are interesting things. William Freakin, Killer Joe, Lee Daniels, Paperboy. Jeff Nichols wrote Mud for me. Steven Soderbergh called Magic Wine. Richard Linklater and I go do Bernie together. True Detective comes around. All of a sudden, Dallas Buyers Club. No one still wants to, you know, put a bunch of money up for a 1980s period drama about AIDS. But all of a sudden, McConaughey, all the directors were no directors would do Dallas Buyers Club with me. They wanted, they wanted the script. They loved the script. They didn't want to do it with McConaughey. All of a sudden, we find Jean-Marc Vallée. Who, want, who says, no, I'd, I'd like to do it with McConaughey. So what happened was that 22 months or whatever, that drought, that desert, I unbranded. I didn't rebrand, I unbranded. Me being away, me being in Texas, not being on a beach, getting pictures of me shirtless on a beach, not being in rom-coms, I was out of the world's view. I was out of the industry's view. I was not in your living room. I was not in your theater. I was not in any of the places that the world had become expectant to see me and how to see me. Where was I? I was gone. Where is McConaughey? Well, you're gone long enough. All of a sudden, I became a new good idea. And I just started hammering them. The family came with me everywhere I went and just started laying down work that really, really turned me on. So there you have it, somebody who knew their purpose, Mark, somebody who knew what they wanted to do and were able to withstand that story of going from 8 to 15. That is insane. I, I wonder how many of us would have taken the 15. I, I certainly would have been tempted. <laughs> I, I, think it's, it, I think it's a really valid story as we consider the topic of finding your purpose because what McConaughey breaks down for us there in a pretty, pretty exciting story of this forced winter, epic. as he calls it for 20 months, it's epic. It's showing me that there is never a situation that you become totally uh, typecast. He was, I, I remember when I was growing up, he was that topless guy in all the rom-coms and and he was pretty good at it but i could see he was that was it that was that was his thing and it just demonstrates hearing him really breaking down from the coal face of what actually happened and went through through his head it shows me if i'm in a situation that i don't really enjoy maybe i'm good at it but it, it doesn't really turn me on no matter where you are no matter what the cost 15 million dollars or otherwise say no you, you can say no, you can be disciplined, you can get away from it and unbrand yourself. I think it's, it's such a perfect way to articulate why the hell you should spend time getting to the bottom of your purpose and finding out what it is because it gives you the ability not only to say yes, but in so many uh times do you hear successful people saying it's not only what you say yes to it's also what you say no to it's how you focus your time your effort and your energy and McConaughey 
He knew exactly what to say no to. And he, he, he was open. He took another read of the script, <laughs> but I think he had such a fundamental grasp of his purpose and the need to be unbranded and to take a new pivot and a new path in life that he was able to withstand that. And I think that's a great uh, example for us that we can all uh, attempt to live up to is that when we're pursuing our purpose, there will be distractions. We need to say no. Powerful stuff, Mark. Oh, I, I think that story is just really captivating. And like I say, yeah, it, it, it does demonstrate and give us all confidence. When you pair it with Elizabeth Gilbert and this idea of permission, it gives you confidence to go out, give it a go. If you can survive the cold, forced winter, great. Just allow yourself to have the time to really figure out what it is that gets you up in the morning and uh, go and go and live in that way. If only, Mike, we had one more part of the show to really teach us some frameworks in order and to daily habits, daily and habits, daily habits on how we can actually find our purpose. Yeah, that's all coming up. But if you're really getting into this and you want to have a listen, for example, to the McConaughey show that we did, head over to moonshots.io. You can dig up all our past episodes, the back catalog, as they call it in the biz, Mark. But you can also get the show notes for this very episode, all of the links, all of the reading suggestions, whole ton of stuff. It's all over at moonshots.io. Frankly, Mark, I think good things happen at moonshots.io. I, I think with all of the transcriptions we've got for every single show, 168 as per uh, today's recording, as well as links to all of our show notes and documentations for all of the master series episodes. It really is in my mind, at least a little library of, of, of education and ways for us to learn out loud and become that best version of ourselves. I think that is the destination for me. If I'm looking for mental models and inspiration from authors and entrepreneurs. So listeners and members head over to moonshots.io. If you are thinking about diving into some of these shows that we've referenced already, some clips from Carl Maynard, Matthew McConaughey, or otherwise, everything is over at moonshots.io. And we heard just recently from Matthew McConaughey, who is definitely a listener's favorite, uh, definitely the people's choice in terms of absolute uh, superstars of the Moonshots uh, podcast. Well, we, we are going to use yet another super heavyweight. Wouldn't you say, Mark, if McConaughey was one of the newer heavyweights, we're about to kick off the third part of our show with an absolute classic heavyweight of the Moonshots podcast. This third part of today's show is about uh, encouraging and helping us realize daily habits, frameworks, and ways that we can understand and find our purpose and adopt practices in order to follow them. And I think, Mike, who better to introduce us into this third part than Mr. Moonshotter himself, Mr. Simon Sinek. And this first clip in part three of today's show that we're going to hear about is Simon Sinek breaking down this idea of having a clear message in mind and how to get there. So let's hear from Simon Sinek giving us a little bit of a breakdown into what he calls the golden circle. Why did you get out of bed this morning? What's your purpose? What's your cause? What's your belief? Why does your company exist? 
in the face of bombardment of manipulation and manipulation, manipulation, that's, that's the marketplace. How do you get your message to stand out? How do you get your message heard? Why should anyone listen to you? As it turns out, there's a pattern. As it turns out, all the great and inspiring leaders and organizations in the world, whether it's Apple or Martin Luther King or the Wright brothers, they all think, act, and communicate the exact same way, and it's the complete opposite to everyone else. All I did was write it down. I call it the golden circle. In the middle is the word why, the center ring is the word how, and the outside ring is the word what. It's this little idea that distinguishes those with the capacity to inspire versus everyone else. Every single organization on the planet knows what they do. These are the products you sell or the services you offer. Some know how they do it, whether you call it your differentiating value proposition or your USP. It's the things that you think make you special or different or better than your competition. But very, very few people and very, very few organizations can clearly state why they do what they do. And by why, I don't mean to make money. That's a result. Why did you get out of bed this morning? And why should anyone care? Why should anybody care? And starting with you, when he first came onto the scene asking this question, why, it was like it had never been asked before. Everyone's like, oh my gosh. And it shows you we need to be constantly reminded to ask the question, why? Why do I do what I do? Why am I approaching things in the way I approach them? Why, why, why? What a damn good question, Matt. It it is one that I think, as we've been hearing from today's clips, uh, it's something that maybe we don't ask ourselves very much. I think, as we were talking about earlier, it's perhaps a question that businesses will start asking themselves now, maybe with the help of management consultants, uh, probably inspired, in fact, by Simon Sinek and his work with Start With Why and find your why. But I think it is one that as an individual, I do assume that people don't really dig into. And again, as we heard from part two of today's show, it's possibly down to ego. It's possibly down to a lack of confidence. It's possibly down to the fear of not being original, as we heard from Elizabeth Gilbert. But I think as we think about a framework that will help us Uh, look at ourselves, look at what inspires us, look at what gets us out of bed in the morning. This golden circle, this work from Simon Sinek, I think is, is pretty helpful, Mike, don't you think? I do. So, so how do we put this one into, into action? Um, And it gets me sort of asking myself uh, uh, some basic questions and to use this circle of why, which is basically you describe what you do as an individual, then you describe how you do it, and then you describe why you do it. And it becomes harder and harder as you go through the process, (laughs) let me tell you. So, um, you know, whatever it is that you do, um, that could be one in a million things. But let's focus on the how and the why. And I think like a really good starting point for whatever it is that you do, that's the what, let's focus on some exercises for the how. And I think 
when you're doing this for yourself, it's really a question of what are the values? How will you execute what you do? All right. So mm. what you do, you're, you're a plumber, you're a carpenter, you're a teacher, a fireman, a consultant. That's what you do. But the question is, how are you going to go about doing that? And I think a very good way to brainstorm and to hold yourself accountable there on how you behave is to ask with what values. So, Mark, let's do an exercise for you. I'm going to give you a a list of values and you tell me, just call it out when you hear one Mm -hmm. that really speaks to how you want to execute your purpose, okay? Okay. Loyalty, spirituality, humility, compassion, honesty, kindness, integrity, selflessness, determination, generosity. I'm halfway through the list. Any of these ones grabbing you? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm writing a couple down as you go. These are good. Yeah, tell us. I, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely feeling loyalty. Yeah. Loyalty for me speaks a lot to the uh, what gets me up a bed in the morning, which is all about teamwork. Mm-hmm. I love having a good uh, team around me and loyalty, I think, plays a huge part in that. Compassion, I think, really comes into that. I like being a people person. Yep, exactly. I think we both like understanding the other party's point of view. Yep. Um, the work of, of clients or partners or even colleagues, if, if you kind of understand and have compassion for what they are concerned about, maybe a bit of empathy, mm-hmm. then you can start understanding the pains or the problems that they have and therefore more better go out and solve them. Perfect. Um, so, so let me hold you right there. Okay. So let's stay with compassion for a moment. So we've got what you do and how do you want to do that? One of the key words is compassion. Okay. So we've got a nice build here. We've got what you do and you're going to do it with compassion. All right. Now to follow the cynic model, here's what you do is you ask why? And that moment that you can all feel right now, that's where you're really kind of closing the loop on your purpose. So as an interesting exercise, Mark, why do you want to act with compassion? Why is it that you do these things with compassion? So I think, and members, just so you have full transparency, we haven't scripted this. <laughs> I sprung it on, on yeah. you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I know. I, I love this. And the reason why I think compassion speaks so highly to me is because I want others to treat me with compassion. Very good. Now that's very good, but you can actually take it even further. Are you ready? Yeah. So you can use this idea of, of um, completing this statement. I am doing my thing as Mark and I'm doing that with one of my most important values, which is compassion because I believe, now you keep going, what do you believe? I believe everybody has a right to be heard. Okay. And let's keep building that. I want you to tell me what is the positive outcome that happens when everybody's heard? Everybody, if everybody is heard, then everybody has an equal chance to be the best version of themselves, I suppose. Now, so what's really interesting here 
is that if you're working on your purpose, exploring the what, how, and the why and building this out in a rigorous way will help you feel better in and of yourself because you've hardwired this into you. Now, so did you notice it was interesting that you ended with, I suppose? Yeah. Yeah. A lack of confidence there. This is your purpose. Like, dude, we, we gotta, we gotta have this nailed. Right. So often one of the great uh, exercises here is to really understand the positive outcomes if you live to your values. And I would say that in terms of compassion, compassion um, creates an underlying uh, respect for others, understanding of others. And when people understand each other well, they can do great things together. They can be the best versions of yourself. And that's a world you want to live in and you want to see come true. Boom. That's it. You want, I want to see that world. I want to. Don't we all? I mean, that's, that's great, right? (laughs) Yeah. So what what we're, what we're doing here, uh, Mark and all of our listeners and members is just a very deliberate and explicit exercise to make your purpose clear to make it hardwired because if you live and breathe that every single day, if you come back to that consistently, you will build your subconscious, you will prime your subconscious to make this uh, come true, to make this come to life, to make this an everyday practice. Pretty good, huh? I I think what's really interesting is now that we've now that I've dug into this concept of compassion, I can see that with every moment of my day, whether it's getting on a bus, sitting in traffic, ordering a nice tasty coffee, there will be opportunities for me to show that compassion to people, right? right? And if I'm maybe fed up about traffic or maybe I'm annoyed at somebody sitting next to me on the bus, whatever it is, knowing that reason why, knowing that purpose, then makes you question, hang on, is my behavior appropriate? Is it in line? And then you think, oh, well, hang on, I'm not going to say something to that person because that's not compassionate. And I know that compassion is my value. So therefore, you know what, it's not that big a deal. And and it almost relieves that that stress or that desire to to say something or do something because you don't need to anymore. It's exactly true. So this is just like going to the gym. Um, you can't just do it once and your muscles will stay big and strong. You got to keep working it. You got to keep working on your purpose. And uh, if you look at Napoleon Hill and thinking grow rich, if you look mm. at Michael e. Gerber on E-Myth, in fact, what you will uncover in the greatest self-transformation books People who work on themselves and purpose is a big part of that are those that succeed. So this is not just a once and every now and then when I listen to moonshots, do you think about purpose? No, quite the opposite. This becomes a regular practice and the more regular, the more powerful you will be because you'll be in touch with your purpose. And I'll tell you who's got a whole lot of power, Mark. Uh, That is the Japanese island of Okinawa where they practice this uh, fantastic uh, self-purpose, self-mastery framework of Ikigai. And uh, you have dug up a fantastic clip about Ikigai. So you want to set that up for us? 
Yeah, Ikigai, it's it's a framework that we've referenced once or twice uh, on the Master Series as well as on the Moonshot Show before, but we've never really dug into it properly. And what better time to really explore it than when we're trying to figure out our purpose. So this next clip we've got is from Tim Tamashiro, and he breaks down his Ikigai. And it's a wonderful little demonstration of how we can go out and maybe even write our own today. So let's hear from Tim Tamashiro, break down the treasure map of Ikigai. This is the treasure map. Ikigai has four directions. Do what you love. Do what you're good at. Do what the world needs. And do what you can be rewarded for. It seems simple, but it's difficult. I spent this last year figuring out what my Ikigai is, and I've boiled it down to a two-word phrase. My Ikigai is to delight. To delight. That's what I go out for every day in the world, whether I'm talking with a clerk at the uh, grocery store or if I'm singing a song on stage or if I'm on the radio or if I'm giving a TED Talk to you wildly attractive people right now. My ikigai is to delight. I throw it out into the world and I get it back in return. It's the full cycle. Now, you're probably wondering to yourself, well, that's great, Tim. Now we know what your ikigai is. What is my ikigai? Let me give you some directions on how you might be able to start figuring that out. I suggest to start part-time. Part-time ikigai is within reach. (laughs) Right? It is very within reach. And I'll tell you something. When you look at there and you see on the screen that there uh, are two sections of the day where you don't really do anything... (laughs) That adds up to eight hours. You can focus your work on the five to nine hours of the day. Okay? Start part-time. Figure out what you love to do and what you're good at. Spend time on that for as long as you like. And there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can start a side hustle or you can do a side helpful. A side hustle, by the way, there's a lot of millennials that have side hustles. Up to 50% of millennials have side hustles according to studies. 50%. And why do they have those side hustles? It's because it gives them the opportunity to be able to do what they're good at and do what they love. And it opens up the opportunity to be able to transfer that part-time ikigai into maybe full-time ikigai down the road. And it doesn't hurt that you can make a little bit of money off it either, right? But what if money isn't necessarily behind your ikigai? Maybe you want to just broaden your heart. Well, you can do a side helpful instead. Ikigai is an action. It's a verb. To serve, to create, to delight, to nourish, to provide, to teach, to heal, to connect, to build. Ikigai is as reliable as a mathematical equation. Ikigai equals time affluence plus your gifts plus rewards in return. And you can do it over and over and over again, and you're going to be so much richer because of it. Your meaningful life is not a destination you have to get to. Your meaningful life is something that you can enjoy right now and any time you want to, okay? A little bit of joy every day is going to add up to a lifetime of joy, isn't it? And when you finally get the chance to spend time getting to know what you do uh, or what, what you love and what you're good at, your ikigai will start to come into light. And eventually, over time, you will earn your black belt. 
Your meaningful life is going to be a lot of work. But I think you really already know this, that you are worth the work. And now you have the Ikigai map to show you how. So I invite you to try Ikigai. Oh, boy, do I want to try Ikigai after listening to that, Mark? (laughs) It's a great clip from Tim Tamashiro, isn't it? He really does visualize it and break it down for us. And I think he's done a great job at uh, really calling out that, to be honest, it is going to take a little bit of time, a little bit of effort, and it's a lot of work. But as he calls out, you're worth it. You're worth the investment of time. Well, so this is the whole point. You know, we spend all this time at the gym, Mm. working on our body, right? But surely our purpose, how we feel when we're on our deathbed and said, was that all worth it? Could do with a little bit of time as well. I mean, I'm I'm like, I'm feeling a sense of trepidation because Ikigai is such a big framework. Like it, it really deserves its own master series, if I'm quite honest. But here's the thing that I would offer to you, Mark, In the end, I think if anybody is really interested in their purpose, they've probably often heard this idea of follow your passion. And we have actually cautioned a lot against that as Mm. uh, uh, an exclusive way in which to find your purpose. Because if you are following your, your, your passion, is that of any use to the world? Can you be paid for it? Right. Um, Here's one. Are you actually any good at it? Right. <laughs> so what Ikigai is saying, you need to find a harmony between what the world needs. Like, is there actually a market for it? Do you love doing it? Can you be paid for it? And are you any good at it? The closer you get to the alignment of those things, that's when you're in the sweet spot. What a great homework assignment for our listeners, particularly because they're now over an hour into the show, into the master series. If you're still listening and if you're still captivated, hit the show notes. We're going to have a big guy framework in there for you. Go and answer the question, what do you love? What are you good at? What can you be paid for? What does the world need? Go find those answers. Do them all at the same time and good things will start happening. But it's not like it's only perfection can bring you satisfaction here. Even starting to orientate around one of those questions, I think there's a lot to give inside of each of those, isn't there, Mark? A total lot to give. And if you give yourself the time, it might take a year, you know, it might take you longer. Maybe it'll be your lifetime work to understand your Ikigai. The point is we're through the process of figuring it out, considering, reflecting, asking yourself these questions. You will start to determine that thing that kind of makes you get up in the morning and that you live for. So I, I personally, Mike, I think it's so worth the experience and worth doing because it, it just helps you really uh, compartmentalize and understand the ways that you are inspired in the day. Yeah, and where you find natural energy, it doesn't feel like work. Another way to to apply Ikigai is to imagine that you don't need the money. Just uh, for the exercise, imagine that you don't need to pay any bills. How would you spend your day? Now, the closer that day that you would dream about if you didn't have to pay the bills. The closer that day represents the actual day that you live, then that's when you know, in this case, you have Ikigai, but 
in really simple terms, that's when you know you're following your purpose. Like I can mm. tell you today, I woke up after eight hours sleep. Awesome. I woke up and the birds were whistling outside. That's awesome. I stretched. I journaled. I did breath work and meditation. I went for a run and I came back and got to spend two hours working on the Moonshots Master Series. That's my day so far, Mark. When I look at Ikigai, I'm like, tick, 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 tick. Yeah. Now, I'm going to have to do some harder things later today. But even that, the day I've, I've won the day, I'm doing what I was born to do. I would do this even if I wasn't getting paid because it's like, look at that list, that inventory. That was all good things. That's a great way to think about Ikigai. That's a really, really nice way of doing it, actually. You're right. Remove the external pressures and try and challenge yourself to think, what would I do if I was Mm -hmm. on a permanent holiday? How, 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 How would you live your life? But I would caution you from using holiday or retirement. I because would take rest. One, yeah. yeah, yeah, because yeah. that's what you do because you're knackered from work. Think yeah. about it this way. How, how would you spend the day if you didn't have to work to pay the bills? And the big yeah. trick here is if you find the balance of Ikigai, which is the world needs what you're doing, you're actually pretty good at it, you love doing it, and if you can find that it is something the world will pay you for, then boom, it doesn't feel like work. Doesn't feel like work. No, you're totally right. And Mike, I mean, we've covered areas and frameworks from Mr. Simon Sinek. I think there's so much mileage and value within Ikigai. And Tim Tamashiro is just a simple, quick introduction to all of that work and that Japanese concept. And I think it's fair to say you and I definitely recommend our members to pop along to moonshots.io, check out the links, download the framework, and really start to dig into it. But we do have time for one more clip today, don't we? We certainly do. And it's the perfect partner to Ikigai because you could literally start with the question, what are you good at? And rather than just think about it, rather than, you know, daydream about it, one thing you can do every single morning is you can write a journal. You can journal on those four big ikigai questions. And who better than uh, Ryan Holiday to talk to us, to share his advice with us about how to think clearly, and that is through writing a journal. The next lesson from the Stoics is journaling. And I would say that there's almost no distinction between Stoicism and journaling. The philosophy is the philosophy of journaling. Marcus Aurelius's meditations, that's not a book he intended for you and me. That's his journal. He was writing these things to himself as the most powerful man in the world about how to be better, how to think more clearly, how to let things go, what was important, what his principles were, who he wanted to be as a person. So if you're one of those people that says, oh, yeah, I'd like to journal, but who has the time? I don't have 20 minutes in the morning. I don't have time before bed. The most powerful man in the world spent time with a journal every single day. He had to do it with far inferior technology to you and I. So you absolutely have the time. You have to make it. I mean, Mike, to compliment 
Matthew McConaughey reflecting on his 20-month forced winter to complement the idea of uh, spending time on the things that get you up out of bed in the morning with uh, golden circle frameworks and ikigai. I think we all might start to question the idea of actually just sitting down, finding time to do all this work. And I love that clip from Ron Holiday saying to us, if Marcus Aurelius, the most powerful man in the world, back in his time can do it. And if listeners, you've heard our Ron Holiday series or even picked up uh, Marcus Aurelius's daily meditations or Ron Holiday's series of books, you can learn that there is so much time mm. and effort that Marcus Aurelius put into his work and daily journals that wasn't even intended for you and me. And it, he was commanding armies, politicians, money, and he found time to do it. And what better way to reconsider and reevaluate how much time that you and I and our members have as we think about finding our purpose than to hear that the most powerful man in the world did it. I mean, Mike, you've just referenced that you do it every morning. So I suppose you and Marcus Aurelius share quite a lot of similarity. Oh, I could only dream, Mark. No, I'm a <laughs> humble servant of, of the journal um, and just uh, on my beginner wheels when it comes to stoicism. But for the listeners and for you, Mark, I would just say, just take one question in a journal today and ask yourself, what are you good at? And just write to that. It could just be a word, cooking, sailing, carpentry, whatever. And then tomorrow, ask the question, what do you love in your journal? Mm. You know, it could be in the morning. It could be at night. I just tend to like getting my thoughts right in the morning. Um, if I was to write a journal in the evening, which on occasion I do, I tend to write what I am grateful for. Mm. On the third day, you can write what the world needs. And on the fourth day, just write some thoughts to what can you be paid for? Mm. And imagine what will come to you just through those four days of journaling. I mean, that's a good, sensible recommendation for the next four days, isn't it? Something so simple. You can do it in, on your phone. You can do it. I prefer a paper journal. I think you do. Uh, do you do digital mic or do you do paper journal? I prefer to type. I, I probably yeah. wouldn't go for the phone, um, but I like type. Uh, I like the typing. Um, mm. And sometimes even do voice memos. Voice memos is a great idea because yeah, then that walking. combines, yeah, what we were talking about earlier, if you're out and about, um, as well as the idea of uh, vocalizing it to somebody else, helping figure out your problems. Correct. Yeah. That, that, that's, a, that's a great build. I like that. Yeah. That's a and really can, nice tip and you can listen back to it, of course. Exactly. And I know McConaughey would, you know, really encourage that, wouldn't he? He certainly would because, again, he was really all around referencing or reflecting on what it is that you've written down. And again, much like Ikigai or even the Golden Circle, Mike, referring back to your journal is an opportunity for you to almost retake a personality test or understand whether your attitudes have changed. Because it might be that you write your Ikigai now and it changes after a couple of years. Absolutely. Or and, and I think that's okay. It's okay if it's dynamic and not fixed. I think as long as you have an, an up-to-date, inverted commas, concept or set of values in your mind, you can therefore, like I was discussing with compassion, get on the bus or 
interact with your colleagues or family in a, in a method or a behavior that's appropriate to your values and your purpose. Yeah, totally agree. And, and hopefully that's sort of the power in this whole system that we've discovered here uh, on the Moonshots Master Series, a whole episode dedicated to finding your purpose. Any homework assignments that you've given yourself, Mark, having done this big deep dive? I I think it's too easy to, uh, it's it's too easy to disregard taking the four big questions or the four uh, concepts within Ikigai and breaking them down day by day. I think to not do that would be a little bit lazy on my behalf. So that's going to be my homework. I'm going to start with those questions. I'm going to grab my journal and day by day, I'll answer what do I love? What am I good at? What does the world need? And what can I get paid for? And then I'll combine them and see what my guy looks like after that process. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining me on this journey into, into purpose. Uh, it was, it was very dense, wasn't it, Mark? I, I believe we've done a pretty comprehensive deep dive into the reasons why we should find your purpose all the way through to some practical tips and, and ways of picking yes. up a journal or process today and, and starting to unlock it. It wasn't really a salad. It wasn't really like <laughs> a, a lasagna. It was like, it was the, uh, the salad at the beginning. It was the lasagna. It was the gelato at the end. It was the good Chianti through the whole thing, finishing with a nice, sharp espresso coffee. It was the complete meal to finding your purpose, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it was a full three-course meal with with after-dinner mince. Oh, the after-dinner mince. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, my gosh. It's been like two decades since I've had an after-dinner mince with my meal. Taking me back. Well, Mark, thank you to you. And thank you to you, our members, uh, listening and sharing and learning out loud with us here on the Moonshots Master Series. Today, it was the Master Series, Episode 8, Finding Your Purpose. We heard from Carl Maynard, who encouraged us to follow our path. Dan Millman pushed us beyond happiness towards meaning. And Elizabeth Gilbert really asked us to accept originality and authenticity to our purpose. Mark Manson came with his trademark, figure it out, guys. Stop listening to the Kardashians. Work out what you want. Shane Paris said, put your ego aside. Focus on the outcome. And McConaughey said, go into the winter of 22 months because it's the red lights that help you grow. And of course, this wouldn't be a master series without Simon Sinek. And the real delight was to hear from Tim Tamashiru, to hear what his treasure map of Ikigai was. And the man who's going to help us make it happen every single day is Mr. Ryan Holiday with his invitation to journal every single day. So there you have it. That's it for the Moonshots Master Series. That's a wrap.